Welcome to another episode of the Shaping Africa podcast. On this episode, I speak to David Moretti on the contribution he is making in the Africa creative industry. You won't want to miss the backstory behind David's very unique and storied journey. Today, I am joined um, by the multi-hyphenate, multi-talented <laughs> David Murethi, who wears many hats. He is a real estate and IP expert. He's a creative entrepreneur. Um, he's been a mentor and advisor to many creatives um, in the country, all the way from the days of Kalamashaka. Um, you just call me old. Uh, no. You just call me old Actually. by saying that all the way. <laughs> I see you a mile away, but you continue. Um, we'll get into that later. Um, he's a retired auditor and actually one of the most interesting things about um, David is he has an alter ego, DJ Light. Um, and uh, DJ D-Light, my apologies. Um, and, you know, he's opened for Grammy award-winning artists such as SWV, Run DMC. Uh, the list goes on and on. And most recently he played for President Barack Obama in his um, 2018 visit. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it's you. really nice to have you here. It's good to be here. I'm really excited to have um, this conversation. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about how you ended up in the UK. Um, wow. The real story I can't even tell on camera. Okay. But, um, <laughs> whew, um, midway through high school mm -hmm. here in Kenya, mm -hmm. I was actually in Nyeri High. Mm. Um, Kavao massive people. Um, and um, halfway through, my sister was going to university in Leeds, and my parents asked me whether I wanted to join her in the UK. Um, the truth of the matter is, and I found out many years later, um, we were kind of being evacuated due to some political issues, uh, business political issues at the time, which I won't elaborate here. Um, so one by one, we all ended up, actually, my entire family, well, the children, ended up out in, in the UK. Uh, but at the time, I didn't know that and actually resisted going. Mm. I actually didn't want to leave Kenya. Mm. Of course. And I took time to just think about it and said, okay, let me just try it out. Mm -hmm. That's actually how I ended up <laughs> in the UK. Okay. Yeah, and for the next 13 years. Yeah, that's quite something to be uprooted at that age. Mm. Um, and so what did you find in the UK? What was life like? This was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, this was, Thatcher was the prime minister. <laughs> let me just put it in perspective. Sure. Um, um, but um, it was, I'd say England, in, in especially, well, the UK in the 80s was a very different, you know, UK that, that, that you, you have today. There wasn't the integration that's there that you see now. There's a lot of naivety, a lot of ignorance, mm -hmm. a lot of racism definitely was there. But, and I'm not trying to make any excuse, but there was, all I, there was two types of racism. There's what I call... There was the intentional racism, and then there was that racism that was purely ignorant. Like, they did not know they were being racist mm -hmm. when they were saying certain things. So, one of the things I set about really early, I said, I'm going to educate the people here as to what is racist and what isn't. Mm. So, I used to stand up. When people say something, I'm like, yo, that's not cool. Uh, what you just said, this is the context. They're like, oh, we didn't know. We're so sorry. Mm. So, yeah, I think I did my bit for Black Power. Wow, and that's, yes. that's amazing. And you did that in what sorts of settings? In school? In school, in university, in at work. Mm -hmm. um, I worked for Ernst & Young. I'm in London as a chartered accountant mm -hmm. for many years. And 
I just I set my foot down when I felt uncomfortable about any conversations. Mm. I never <laughs> laughed at you know mm. people would laugh. I'd notice people would laugh uncomfortably, and this is when shows like Mind Your Language were on, and when you look back on shows like that now, they were hugely racist. Mm. They were so like non PC. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, even I didn't realize just how much then, because I actually used to enjoy them. Right. But then I look back and I was like, right. yo, that wasn't cool. Right, right, right. So yeah, right. That's, that's what I meant. But to be honest, I mean, I wasn't that... I got on with it. Mm -hmm. I excelled in a lot of fields, and I just got on with it. I didn't let those things hold me back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you probably got your power from, you know, saying, like, I'm not cool with this. Yeah. And therefore, that created a space for you to come, to go on and stand up for yourself Absolutely. in whatever you did. Yeah. That's a really valuable lesson because, <laughs> yeah, racism is not dead. No, it's so, not. It's very um, much alive. Yeah, for anyone who's in the diaspora, um, find your voice and find mm. your way to stand up for yourself. Mm. Um, okay, interesting. You mentioned you were a chartered accountant. How did you end up on that on that path to, to be working at Ernst & Young in London? It's quite simple. Okay. <coughs> I'll give you the bullet point um, answer to that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do PR at some point. At some point, I actually wanted to be a doctor as well. I was a real science person. Mm -hmm. My father had other plans. He influenced it and ended up being a chartered <laughs> accountant. The end. <laughs> but my degree was in economics and accounting. Um, even though I had three job offers in some of the top PR firms, because mm. I used to do a lot of side hustles in university. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to do PR. It was my thing. But at mm -hmm. the time, public relations was not a known career move mm -hmm. in Kenya. The only like two people I remember who were doing Yolanda Tavares, who's still up to today, is one of the big PR companies, and um, uh, Colin Church, um, Church or Associate. And they were the only two people or companies I could remember, you know, doing PR in Kenya. So it wasn't, it, wa it was a period where certain careers, I'll give you another example. Um, what we know as HR today was known as personnel management Correct. then. Correct. Basically, you process payroll and sick leave and Correct. leave. leave. No I mean, that was what it was. Correct. So it wasn't also seen then as a very serious career path. It was seen as a real support services, whereas now it's very integrated, it's much like PR. It's very, very part and parcel of any company, you know. Um, so, you know, and I discussed this very excitedly with my offers in my second year, which was very rare. Dad, look at this, you know, PR and, you know, looked at me with all the struggle of getting, you know, fees in a foreign country mm -hmm. he looked at me like you know maybe he thought i was on some some something something mm -hmm. like most african parents right mm -hmm. um then he said well what you do here's my advice um, and he always used to put it in an advisory mm. he says um what i suggest what you do you do your audit when you qualify and everything go follow your dreams interesting um in a twisted way, that actually ended up happening because mm. I did end up running an entertainment company mm -hmm. and running a lot of PR um, and around it. So in a way, I got the best of both worlds eventually. So maybe he had the foresight, which I didn't have then. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Okay, so how, how did you manage stepping through both worlds? Because on the one side, you are an auditor. On the other side, you had an interest in PR and events. And so I've always, my, I've always been, I mean, we all born creatives, but I've been very expressive in my creative forms, whether it's dancing, music, from a young age. Um, when I was 15, <laughs> um, these are facts that just have to come out. Uh, some people know it. Um, I was actually the Kenyan national breakdancing champion. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'd come home on holiday from the oh, UK. Oh, we have to do some moves after uh, this. No, not, <laughs> not at all. 
Um, um, after the second jab, they said, I don't try anything funny. Gotcha. Um, so um, dancing, I was a choreographer all the way through university. I did some big, big, big shows that traveled around the UK um, for a jeans company called Joe Blogs, um, which was the biggest oh, jeans okay. company at the time. Mm -hmm actually owned by an East African um, um, at the time. And <coughs> so dancing, and I started DJing mm -hmm. when I was in my first year in, in university. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Started doing events, like big, big events. Mm. So by the time I was leaving university, I actually had a fully-fledged company that I actually sold. Amazing. I actually sold my company, which was quite an achievement, I think, right. at that age Absolutely. of 21, 22. Yeah. Um, and very and, early and, um, success. Some yeah. of my... So I used to manage bands as well. Mm -hmm. So two of my bands got signed up to a sub-label of Warner Brothers. Okay. And they bought out my management contract also. So it's kind of weird at that age earning all that kind of money. I actually earned more money in my last year in university than my first year as a chartered accountant. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a weird thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and now Kerry will come looking for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, but it was a valuable lesson in actually managing to balance. Because a lot of people... Um, asked me, how, how did you manage getting a good degree and still doing all these things? Because I was really entrepreneurially involved. Mm. Trust me. It mm. was like nearly a, a full-time job. And I just used to balance. I'd come from gigs. Three in the morning, I'm doing my essays, fall asleep at 5 a.m., wake up, go to lectures. But I, you know, had energy. And I think the thing is, do it while you have the energy because mm -hmm. at some point, that energy will, mm -hmm. all the time to do the things will run out. So, Explore, do it while you can still make mistakes. And that's my message, to be honest, to the younger people, especially mm -hmm. those going to university in the diaspora. Explore, join as many sub-communities, you know, whether it's the Afro-Caribbean society, the Kenyan society, the whatever society you're going to join. Get involved as well. Um, ISEC, um, the opera, you know, whatever, interests. Because you might not get that opportunity here and or to hone those skills necessarily sure. as much sure. especially if they're very unique skills mm -hmm. that um it's a good place to test it is university life um and because if you make a mistake people will be like ah, but you're young mm -hmm. it's a good time yeah. trying it at yeah. 45 or at 52 right is a bit different yeah yeah, yeah. it's a bit so really less maximize on maximize that on that experience yeah. yeah yeah and then the other thing is just network one thing i learned again very early on is 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 um success in business comes about from your network and then, you know they use the you know they always um use that very cliche phrase your network is your network is your net worth but it's very true and i'm still in touch with people f you know from school from university up until today and we still we we actually do business together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it it does pay off to have some solid i would say if you leave university with two three solid friends who you keep in touch with right that's a good tip and you have to I know it sounds weird, but I can say this in retrospect. I mean, I did it instinctively, but you actually have to look at future success. I know it's very strategic, but right. you have to say, this person will probably be the best filmmaker in the next 10 years. I'm holding on to this person. This one is going to invent something that's going to change the world. This one I'm holding on to. Like, you have to be a bit strategic, mm -hmm. I think, in your last year. Mm -hmm. You can ball, 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 but towards the end, start looking at people both strategically, but obviously people who, yeah, who you share values exactly, with. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that pays off in the end. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, I like to say, pick the people you're going to go deep with. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's really good advice. Um, so when did you make the, f so the full pivot from, so you've sold the business mm -hmm. and you've joined ENMI as a chartered accountant. Mm -hmm. So now you're, a f you're an accountant. Mm. 
And how did that Madhavu. feel? <laughs> oh, numbers. I like numbers. <laughs> well, I've always loved numbers. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was, because I moved to London, um, to Anson Young in London, um, and I still DJed. I used to do all the Kenyan parties. I still side hustled a bit, but it just wasn't as easy because I was studying while working as well. So it wasn't, you know, time-wise, definitely reduced my um, entrepreneurial activities mm -hmm. a lot more. And London's a, it's, 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 it's a fast-paced place, mm -hmm. you know. There's not much time for much else than work and, you know. But I still found ways, you know, again, through DJing. Um, I used to attend a lot of concerts. That was mm. fun. Being in London, that was a very good experience. Attending concerts, attending. I love the opera. I love theater. So for me, that was heaven. Um, what else really happened in London? Again, forging new friendships, you know, at Ernst & Young, um, some of whom I still have up until today. Mm -hmm. Um... But for me, I mean, after that, I actually left the UK, came and joined the practice here in East Africa. Interesting. So still with Ernst Still Young. with Ernst and Young. Okay. And continued here. And being home, actually, then gave me the opportunity. Because let me tell you, there's no one in Kenya who has one job. Nobody. Nobody. Um, who hasn't got like a side hustle, like an income on the side. Oh. So coming back home, one of the joys was I was now able to actually... In fact, the first thing I did was set up an entertainment company. I, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just set it up. And sure enough, even as I was settling in, because I think I took a couple of months before I started working, I already did three events here, you know, testing out the scene. And um, so I found, okay, this place is a lot easier to, to sort of... Um, be multi... Be multi and yes. yeah. So that's what actually gave rise to getting involved in the music industry. Um, I remember I, I met, um, although we'd met before, but I met, I re-met Ted Josiah. Mm -hmm. And one day he said, oh, you know, uh, there's something happening. At this, it was a place called Pisces, just to be somewhere off um, near the railway station. He said, there's a gig, there's an artist I'd like you to come and see. And that artist's name was Hardstone. Mm. And I watched him perform. I was like, wow, hey, that guy's got talent. Mm. And before I knew it, I became his manager. Mm. And... Um, Soon after, I actually left the practice, audit practice. Okay. Not because of that, just because I wanted to pursue... Uh, the creative side? Well, actually, it was mainly actually to pursue, to join the family business, which I'm glad I, I did, because my dad passed on five years after. So to go join the family business, which is real estate, um, mainly as a finance director, and then, but it also gave me now the flexibility mm -hmm. to also pursue my entertainment. Uh, so what people, a lot of people don't know up until today, it's going to be revealed today, is that I, I was actually doing them parallel mm -hmm. all along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm a bit of a fake, like, creative entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> I, no. I would disagree. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm saying that lightheartedly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but I, I did, I, I managed to pursue. And the interesting thing, by being an auditor, mm -hmm. one thing about being an auditor, and I'm sure even lawyers would agree, because your billing is every, f at the time, I remember it was every 15 minutes of your time you had to account for. So you learn to be very organized. And that Absolutely. sense of organization is actually what helped me with my entrepreneurial success in the creative world. So in the end of the day, at the end of the day, my dad was actually right. Mm -hmm. I got the business skills, the professional skills from right. the audit from my audit career, Correct. which I applied actually into the, into the entertainment field. Correct. And I think that definitely has, has played a huge, huge role in um, my success mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you took us quickly. So let's, Very. Yeah, so we'll let's go, back. go back a little bit. Let's go back. Um, what was the moment you decided to transition, so from the UK to Kenya? Winter. 
So, <laughs> winter. Around, when does the clock change? Is it October or September? September, around October. There. Somewhere around, around there. The, the, Fall you know. back. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, it's dark at 4 p.m. Let me tell you, every year, every year, in spite of being there 13 years, every year that happened, it used to just get me down, okay? Um, and I remember, you know, because I was a British resident, and I was actually eligible, and this is actually the thing that actually happened. Actually, I've never talked about this. This is the thing that actually happened. So I was eligible to get a British passport. Mm -hmm. So the team at Ernst Young, in the, 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 the legal team who are handling, who handle all those things, said, hey, now you've done X amount of time, you know, you can apply for a British passport. And that was the first time I thought about, like properly thought about, am I going to be here? Am I going to be home? Mm -hmm. Because to get a British passport, I'd have had at the time, because there was no dual citizenship, to give up my Kenyan passport, which to me was an absolute impossibility. Interesting. But that thought, that started a trail of thoughts of, hmm, am I done here? Have I gotten what I want from here? You know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And within three months, I was back home. Really? Yeah. yeah. But so that's what sparked it off, actually. Amazing. So, okay. So you, you said, no thanks, but I want to transition to the Kenya office? I, actually, originally, I was just, come, I, was just, I just needed to get home. I just realized oh. I was done. Yeah. Like I, I can't even explain it any better. I yeah. just knew I was done. Yeah. I knew the offer at the Kenya office was always there. Right. And, you know, I, was, I, you know, I used to meet the partners when they used to visit the office in, 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 in England. And they're like, you hope you're coming back home. And, you know, that was always going to be the idea. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I think the idea really came. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, I just like, I'm done. Yeah. 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 And, and it's good you had those connections. So you had Absolutely. someone to call. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think it was just time to come home. It's just okay. like a... I can't even explain it. It just, mm. it felt so right. Actually, it shocked a lot of people because <laughs> from turning in my um, um, resignation to, to coming home, I forgot to tell people I was actually leaving the UK. And I remember telling them three days before I left. I was like, oh, because I was so busy organizing. And I remember telling people, oh, by the way, um, let's meet at the pub. Because I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> and I remember people were... You are one of those. So, yeah, one of those. People <laughs> were shocked. They were so shocked. They were actually, so, up until they say, you know, you're, you're kind of crazy. Like, you know, so not everyone could make it, et cetera, et cetera. And I literally just left the UK mm -hmm. like that. Like, the funny thing is, um, I have to just tell you this. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell the folks I was coming home. I thought I'd surprise them. Uh -huh. Yeah, much to my surprise, they had shut down the house and gone to Shags. And those <laughs> days were no mobile phones. And Shags didn't have a phone. So I landed, I remember the taxi airport. Hey, I'm home. No, I'm home. Home. <laughs> and I had to go stay at a friend, friend of mine's place for three days until <laughs> they, they came back. So it's like, take two. Come back home. Hi, I'm home. Hi, mom. And the funny thing is, mm -hmm. the reaction was, what happened? What's, are you okay? You know, the, the, the panic. She sort of Correct. panicked and thought, Correct. I've been deported or Correct. something has happened. I was like, no, I'm home. She says, what do you mean? You know, it's, it's, it's quite. Took her a while to just. Actually, took her like a few days. She thought there's still something this guy is going to tell me. He's, but let's just let me just feed him. And just wait for him to tell us. Maybe he's not ready. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I'm actually home. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, chill. I just want some time out. You know. So that was that was a good. You know, I took a couple of months off before I went back now to work for Ernst and Young here, the East Africa office. Um, but yeah, that's that's how. The transition happened. Wow. Okay. Um, 
there's something you mentioned about you being able to step into the family business. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people in the <coughs> diaspora, you know, are having professional success, mm. but then they, they feel that tug to come mm. back yeah. home, particularly to step into yeah. family yeah. business yeah. roles. You know, looking back on the transition that you made, um, what does it mean to you to have been able to be there when, you know, the family like mm. lost your dad yeah. and then being able to step up? I think, um, you know, I lost my dad. He was quite young, you know, he was about 60 years old mm. when he passed. Um, so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't joining the family business because he was aging per se. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, I just felt it was the right time. time. And he'd always been very open with business. We'd, we'd always, from a very young age, always worked in the family, even on holidays. Even when you come on holiday from the UK, half the holiday you had to work in one of the family businesses. Like, that was, there's no, you couldn't earn any pocket money or anything. You had to earn it that way. There was, it was a rule from, I think, the age of six, right, to work on the coffee farms. So it was something that had been built in as, as a value system. Mm -hmm. So, and again, he was a very different... Um, I think type of father um, um, to many who are probably not the same. Um, he really involved us, talked about business. You know, the, we knew what was going on. In other words, he didn't. So one of those issues where he just in yeah, shouted in secrecy. You know, mm. we knew we knew where the debts were. We knew who owed. We knew how it was run. We knew you know, so very involved. So it wasn't hard to sort of get into it, so to speak, and add some value. And the whole idea was just to add some value. Um, because yes, of course, by then his energy was dropping. So it's just how can we come and innovate and improve things? And yeah, that's that's essentially what what I did. Mm, mm. Uh, my brother followed suit as well. Okay. Uh, not so long after he was also in the UK, he came back, joined one of the family businesses, awesome. and one by one we all got involved. Okay. So when you know, with with much to our surprise, five years later he passed. Actually, it was a very smooth transition mm -hmm. business-wise. Mm -hmm. So it, it, was, it was, I guess, I'll just say it was a guardian angel who told me to come home then. Because mm -hmm. it would have been worse had I been told, okay, your dad's passed, come home, oh, take over. Way, take over. So mm -hmm. I'd be like, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. I had time to really transit in. Mm -hmm. So I, was, I think I was quite lucky. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you really were. Mm. Um, okay, how would you describe your transition back in one word? Hmm. Truth? exciting mm. that's that's actually the way i was actually very excited to mm -hmm. come back it was mm -hmm. despite the two takes of um yeah despite that that was a bit of a of a <laughs> like mom if you're watching that was rough okay on my mental wellness um but i was excited to be home mm. um family the air mm -hmm. no winter mm -hmm. um food eating githeri again i missed ugali mm. i missed githeri like from home, you know, it, it's something very different. Um, it slaps different. Um, what else? And just my friends. And luckily, I kept in touch with a lot of my friends. My, I kept my networks up here. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I had missed that. So it was nice to be home. Mm -hmm. It was just exciting. Mm -hmm. It was an exciting time as well to have come back at that time. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned time. So yeah. obviously, there's young people in university now. Um, you know, how do you see the Kenya you came back to mm. versus Kenya now in terms of opportunities, outlook? Hmm. Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> again, it was a very different time, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. It was how many years ago? 20-something years ago? 25 years ago, mm -hmm. literally, is when I got back. And 
at the time, in spite of the challenges we had economically, I mean, it was a time of economic challenge, um, the mid-90s. Um, the economy was That's on right. or, uh, a spiral, downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Having said that, jobs were still available. Like, there was still opportunity somehow. There was still, mm -hmm. if you had a good, especially if you had a good education, whether locally or foreign, or, you were still quite employable because opportunities still existed. It's a little different today. Mm -hmm. um, you have a very diverse workforce, but a much larger workforce as well. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So... Whereas our careers were very standardized then, you know, you had like seven careers to choose from. <laughs> um, right now you've got people doing degrees I can't even, I don't even know if some of the parents know what degrees their children are actually doing. I asked one, I remember, what's your son doing? He said, eh, it was in his second year, please note. He said, eh, he's doing something, something with the environment. <coughs> that was the summary. So when I looked it up, it, it, was, it was quite a tech thing. Even I had to Google it. Mm -hmm. You know, econometrics, the environment, so things mm -hmm. that were not there in our times, mm -hmm. like, yo. But, you know, it's, 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 I guess it's in, in um, what's happening now is that that's the world we live in right now. It, it's a very diverse workforce needed to take us into the next century, mm -hmm. so to speak. So mm -hmm. having said that, the danger, however, is doing a course that has no relevance here especially current relevance. It might have relevance in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's always the challenge. It's like, whatever you're doing, first follow your passion, I always say. Follow your passion. Don't worry about, you know, follow your passion. However, at some point, you have to start thinking of your employability or your possibility of setting up a business here in the field that you're studying. Mm -hmm. Because what that then advises you uh, is whether you will look for a job out there for a while, while forever. we catch up. <laughs> while we either catch up or while the opportunity really it's more about the opportunity yeah. being presented here true because for example i'll give a very simple example people who've gone to study nuclear energy back in the day i remember a friend of mine was studying it in the eight he was doing his masters in the 80s i can't remember, but way back like before i mean the only thing we knew was chernobyl and you know three countries that are nuclear. you know what i mean like it was so far-fetched and people used to ask why are you studying but that was his passion. Mm -hmm. He was a nuclear physicist and actually I don't even know what happened to him. But you know, you can imagine he, he actually didn't come back home. I mean he came home, was a bit frustrated because there was nothing. We're not into mm -hmm. talking about nuclear mm -hmm. energy in Africa, mm -hmm. you know, period. Mm -hmm. But now a nuclear physicist right now is mm -hmm. in huge demand. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's all the conversation, you know, mm -hmm. uh, around energy, etc., mm -hmm. and renewable energy and mm -hmm. all those conversations coming to so it's a, it's 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 I think what I would say is um, one does definitely have to assess whether these skills can be applied back home. And if not, look, I'm, I'm all for the world is, is, is a huge, huge village. Work out where those skills are necessary and, and needed and go forth and use them, mm -hmm. to be honest. Don't be, ref don't be confined to, oh, I have to. Unless you really, really want to come back home immediately, like I did, go forth hone your skills, mm -hmm. come back at the right time. Mm -hmm. And when you feel you're ready, don't, yeah. don't rush it yeah. and get frustrated, you right. know, that there's no job. So, yes, the, the, the employment market, as you know full well, is, is quite rough right now. At the moment, yeah. Very rough. It's hard to get a job. Worse so in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But even that notwithstanding, it was already difficult, you know, because of the numbers of graduates looking for jobs. People with PhDs even, you know, you see some of them 
working as security guards because they can't get any other job, which mm -hmm. is quite disheartening, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it, I must say it's 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 I don't have good news on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I I don't think they're looking for good news. We're looking yeah. for real talk. No, so absolutely no. Yeah. That's 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 a toughie. Yeah. I mean, some of the advantages of of for example working with a multinational when you're when you get work experience out there, but a multinational that has a branch in Kenya is that it's very easy to, to like I did, like with Ernst Young, to transition. That's mm -hmm. usually a very easy way in. Um, or working in a field that you, you know, is, you know is, is, is a specialty field in Kenya. Mm -hmm. Again, that's another way, that's another easy way to transition in because what, what I would advise people to do is come home, come visit, take a month off, come home, start connecting with people way in advance of you coming back mm -hmm. to settle. Mm -hmm. Create networks. Let people know what you're doing because that tests the adaptability phase. The sm it smoothens it out, so to speak. Um, and you'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of I know people have done that and have gotten job offers. Like, if you come next year, you're, you know, you've got a job offer. And there's nothing nicer than knowing there's something to come back to right. or, or start a business, mm -hmm. you know, um, of some sort. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people jump into real estate as their investment opportunity right. or settling back. They're right. like, want an income? get real estate mm -hmm. and then we'll be okay mm -hmm. and i'm in real estate it's had mixed a mixed bag of of success mm -hmm. so i wouldn't really advise anyone to immediately jump in because people have been conned left right and, and center, center. unless you're actually here don't over double in big real estate projects unless you're literally here to see the bits and more. you can buy a house here you can buy some land you, the, the smaller real estate investments yes but the big ones c come back mm -hmm. and do it here mm -hmm. yeah that's really solid advice. Thank you. Mm. Um, so we've talked about, you know, folks looking to transition career-wise um, and, you know, people looking to invest in real estate. What about creatives in the diaspora who, you know, kind of want to stay connected? Uh, what's your advice? Hmm. Um, you know, the good thing is with today we have social media. There's no reason why you can't connect with anybody right now. Um, for example, if, you have a, if you're a filmmaker, a Kenyan filmmaker in Australia, let's say, um, like one of our greatest filmmakers, Wanori Kahio, was, um, how would you then connect with the industry here? It's quite simple, really. It's find out who, you know, who just Google who the top filmmakers are, reach out to them. And I think one thing about the creative sector, it's a very open and willing to, co it's a very collaborative sector. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't see any challenge there at all, mm -hmm. to be very honest. Mm -hmm. And then again, create, um, find out what your strengths are, try and find out what the challenges are maybe in Kenya, and then offer value. Because that's mm -hmm. one way of being, I think, invited in, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, and also don't think you know it all. Mm -hmm. Don't think you know it all just because you're out there. Yeah. That attitude will that, that crash and burn you. Not just to creatives, but to absolutely. everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. I made I some of those mistakes. Yes. No. <laughs> Everyone has, I think, made yeah. that mistake here yeah. and there. But that's one thing I say. Don't, don't assume you know it all. Mm -hmm. You'd be very surprised just how sharp mm. uh, the people you left at home mm. are and how they moved on and are super successful mm. in their own right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it is something we're looking at even as we speak. I'm working on a project to try and actually tie in diaspora, um, diasporians in Africa actually okay. with, with, um, with their counterparts. And it's a huge, huge two-year project. I can't speak about it okay. more than that right so now. So later, 
maybe we'll Sometime provide we'll an come update. Back and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, it's, that it's, sounds it's, like it's going to be it's really exciting. It's definitely an exciting, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a necessary thing as well, you mm. know. So, yeah. Yeah, and you're totally right. In, you know, in this season, we are physically apart, but yeah. virtually connected. So, so simple. everything is possible. Yeah. Offer value. Yeah. yeah. Oh, on that offer value hit me because I've been um, putting myself out to serve more. Mm. And I think a lot of times when you think of offering value, like, well, people need to pay me. Mm -hmm. But you find that when you actually give, you get so much more in Absolutely. return. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I finally, it, I, it, I have understood the meaning of being a cheerful giver because of that rush yeah. after you give back. Yeah. 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 That's so, very true. So well thanks put. for sharing that. Um, okay. So two final questions for mm -hmm. you. How are you shaping the Africa we want in the creative space? So, um, so fast forward to from Hardstone, when I first met Hardstone, I managed quite a number of artists. We worked together with Ted Josiah over the years. So I'd manage the artists and manage the company and he would produce the artists um, with both talent spot um, and manage quite a number of artists, Kalamashaka, Gidi Gidi, Maji Maji, um, um, Necessary Noise, uh, Susano Wheel, we discovered her, Nameless, we're the ones who discovered Nameless, Mega Rider, recorded all the songs and Bogabol. So we did a lot. Um, and then at some point, my dad passed away very suddenly. Mm. So I actually had to leave my investment in the music industry, uh, sold it to Ted, mm -hmm. and went into the family business a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember after about a year of that, I was feeling a bit empty. Mm. It was like it was calling out at me. It was calling out at me in so many ways. And um, one day I got invited by the Ford Foundation to go run a workshop in Zanzibar, the Zanzibar International Film Festival, to teach Zanzibari, they're called Zenji rappers. Zen, Zen, I think they're called Zenji rappers. Mm -hmm. uh, Zanzibari rappers, just talk to them about the music business. Just a basic, it was a very casual thing. And I was flown over and we did this thing. It was so impactful. I remember they cornered me after that, they cornered me around a tree. In fact, I thought I'd done something wrong because they just literally came at me and said, what you told us was mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. We did not know, for example, our producer should not necessarily be our manager. And, you know, just things I took for granted. And I realized, hmm, so there is some value in this. Mm -hmm. And that's what started what is now Creative Enterprise Center, which mm -hmm. I've been running for the last, it's a consultancy, a training consultancy. Mm -hmm. I've been running for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it's given me the privilege, and I use this word very strongly, privilege, mm -hmm. to travel around Africa mm -hmm. running business skills workshops for creative entrepreneurs so i've done it everywhere from sierra leone down to south africa and it's been very fulfilling mm -hmm. actually it's one of the most fulfilling things i do wow. is running uh, skills training for the creative sector mm -hmm. um we've just come off running um uh, a course called perform which is being run by m here in kenya by uh, a lady Mudoni drama queen mm -hmm. most we know Mudoni dq mm -hmm. and was helping the music industry for example um um, music producers, um, talent managers, sound engineers, publicists, musicians. I mean, literally the whole spectrum of the music sector was and, and producers was represented there. And it was an eight-week, eight nine-week course uh, ending in a showcase that's just been shot last weekend. And this, is, this was the third cohort, and we've seen the impact of this cohort. So I helped design and helped train the trainers. And that's one thing I, you know, I really enjoy doing. Um, uh, we've done it online over the pandemic in some African countries. That's mm -hmm. Again, those are some of the advantages that the pandemic has thrust us into. 
not knowing that actually, you know, we could have really done this. We, we could do this training online. And so that's been a possibility and training in, in different regions that beforehand I really didn't have access to that easily. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's, that's basically how, that's the legacy I want to leave mm -hmm. is creatives who run their businesses professionally. Rihanna has just been announced recently as the richest female entertainer in the world. She's just gone, she's become an officially a billionaire. You don't do that by not having some business savvy, you know? Um, and it doesn't take you away from being a creative. It just makes you smarter in your conversations and your moves and the people you need to bring in to help you with your success. That's all it really, really does. Mm -hmm. That's what the training really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you said you wanted to leave uh, a legacy yeah. uh, in the creative space. So what is your hope for the creative industry on the continent as a whole? My ultimate hope for the creative, if I can summarize it in a very basic way, which was actually the motivation for starting my consultancy. Mm. The day we normalize the creative sector being an acceptable career choice by parents, I know then we've done our job. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. When your child says, I want to be a poet, I want to be an actor, I want to be a filmmaker, I want to be a musician, dad, mom, this is what I want to study at university or this is what I want to do as a career. And people say, yes, because we've seen many examples of it. That's when I know we've done something to leave a good legacy in this mm -hmm. continent. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay, so as a last point of advice, um, you know, what advice would you give to young people who are creatives and, you know, they, w they want, they're in school, but they want to have a side hustle, just like you did. Yeah. Uh, how do they maintain that balance? And these are creatives in the diaspora yeah. or here? Could be either. Um, I'm, I'm asked this quite a lot, actually, mm. in, by, you know, by parents whose, chil whose children have expressed um, their urge to follow a career in the creative sector. And it really throws a lot of parents into a spin. This is what I would say. Um, first, if you're studying, focus heavily on your studies. Like, don't ever let anything compromise that. That's the first step. Um, and the way to achieve that is just by managing your time better. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in order to achieve it, you have to sacrifice some things. You can't have your cake and eat it. So you can't be in the hang all the time or doing other things and and still trying to achieve your academic uh, success and your creative success you have to focus on having some vague sort of plan so the two things have some sort of plan whereby you say for example every saturday between x amount of time or sunday basically when you have a bit of freer time i'm going to put my effort into this um, not wednesday night and school night tomorrow day and you're up till five in the morning trying to produce a song, which is what tends to happen with creatives. And I, you know, I'm one, so I know what I went through as well. And I did go through that, you know, imbalance first before finding a balance. Um, so first find a balance, allocate time for it. Even if it's during the week, say, look, I'm just going to spend, in the same way, you have to allocate balance for social media these days. You have to say, look, I'm only spending an hour on this, no more. So discipline, message, one, Two, um, look for mentorship. That's a message to you guys out there. Look for mentorship. Look out to people to just advise you on what's happening really in that industry. Because 
you don't want to make the same mistakes people have made already. This is what I say, make new mistakes. So reach out to people who are in the industry, say, hey, can you tell me a little more about this industry? How can I get into it? What advice would you, you know, is there a site I should see? Is there, you know, whatever it is. Um, and between those two, I think you'll get through it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. So welcome. It's great. Um, honestly, uh, I just want to thank you so much for your openness and candor in sharing your journey. Um, and I just love everything you're doing with, in the creative sector. Um, and I just wish you the very best. Um, and I look forward to normalizing the, crea <laughs> you know, the creative industry as Me a too. career choice. Thank you. Um, and seeing the impact that you live on the continent. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All thank right. you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. David and I had such a great time recording this conversation. And I hope you had just as much fun listening. Please refer to the show notes to see how you can keep in touch with David. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to leave us a rating and review and share it with a friend. Also, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified when we release new episodes. Until then, keep showing up as your best self and taking action to shape the Africa that we want. <laughs>